Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Guillaume Emeriode, MD, PhD, about the article, Respiratory Dysfunction Associated with Red Blood Cell Transfusion in Critically Ill Children, a prospective cohort study published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in 2015. Dr. Emeriode works as a clinical assistant professor in the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at CHU St. Justine Hospital in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Thank you for being with us today, Guillaume. Thank you, Marguerite. Thanks for having me. Guillaume, your group is very well known for your work on transfusion. Tell us what led to this study of respiratory dysfunction associated with red blood cell transfusions. You are right. You know well that our uh, pediatric intensive care unit team, and in particular, Jacques Lacroix, has long worked in the field of transfusion in critically ill children, and especially with the aim of limiting the side effects of transfusion or avoiding unnecessary transfusion. But by this effort, the transfusion are still one of the most important and frequent interventions in critically ill children. And at the same time, these patients frequently have respiratory disorders or systematic inflammatory response syndrome. And the combination between this frequent transfusion and a frequent respiratory disorder or inflammatory status led us to believe that probably critically children are very sensitive and high vulnerability to develop respiratory complications after transfusion. And several years ago, Jacques Lacroix and France Gauvin conducted an observational study from the hemovigilance system, and they observed that, in fact, the cases of trali transfusion-related acute lung injury in pediatric intensive care unit in Canada was extremely low. In fact, they reported only three cases in three years, I think. So this led us to think that probably the problem of respiratory complications was underreported or underdiagnosed uh, uh, in critically ill children. And as my own research interest is uh, more related to respiratory problem and mechanical ventilation in pediatric intensive care unit, we decided with Jack to join our efforts and our expertise to focus our attention now to the respiratory dysfunction after transfusion. And that's how we went to this study. So how did you do this study? In fact, this was an observational study. Uh, a large prospective cohort study conducted in St. Justine Hospital, so a single center study in the tertiary care pediatric intensive care unit. And during one year, we screened all admitted children in the PICU. And all children who received at least one transfusion of red blood cells were included in the cohort. And, of course, we recorded the baseline characteristics, but more specifically, the clinical and the labs related to the respiratory functions around the transfusion, from the time of transfusion and even a few hours before the transfusion to the PQ uh, discharge. And uh, based on this data, we, are, we have conducted an adjudicating process to uh, diagnose the cases of respiratory dysfunction associated with transfusion. And we defined several types of respiratory dysfunction. And uh, because 
As you know, the classical definition of trali can be problematic in critically ill patients because there are two important exclusion criteria in this definition. Uh, the, the first criteria that is a barrier in pediatric intensive care unit is that pre-existing acute lung injury before the transfusion is an exclusion criteria for the diagnosis of trali. And we thought that this was probably problematic because uh, acute lung injury is so prevalent in ICU that it was probably not a good idea to exclude all these patients because we were wondering if transfusion could also induce the dysfunction in these patients with a pre-existing uh, acute lung injury. And the second aspect that was a bit a barrier with the, the TRALI definition was the fact that TRALI should be detected in the six hours after the transfusion. And there are some evidence especially from adult ICU data that suggest that probably longer period of observation would be necessary to diagnose respiratory deterioration after transfusion. So we used in this study a new definition for the complications, and that's why we call that uh, respiratory dysfunction after uh, associated with transfusion. In fact, it, this means that we were looking at respiratory dysfunction and we used a validated definition of respiratory dysfunction as suggested by Goldstein. And the second important specificity of this study is that we looked at the patients without respiratory dysfunction at baseline. And so we looked at in this patient if they developed a respiratory dysfunction. But we also looked at the patient with a pre-existing respiratory dysfunction. And in those patients, we looked if they, they had a worsening of their respiratory function. So the, the definition of these cases, the respiratory dysfunction associated with transfusion, was done by an adjudicating process conducted by two independent investigators, and they had to rate the probability of the diagnosis and also if they thought that the diagnosis was likely related to the transfusion or likely related to another patient cause. So how did you define the respiratory dysfunction that occurred? So the exact definition was the one proposed by Goldstein. So it includes at least one hypoxemia criteria based on uh, the PaO2-FiO2 ratio, or we use also the uh, SF ratio uh -huh. as proposed mm -hmm. by uh, Robin Dokumani and uh, Neil Thomas because it has been proven equivalent to the PF ratio and mm -hmm. we have a lack of arterial blood gases frequently in children. And there was also a criteria of hypercapnia or the need for intubation of or uh, non-invasive mechanical ventilation. So these were the criteria used to define the respiratory dysfunction. And the people who reviewed the cases made a judgment as to whether it was caused by or associated with the transfusion? Yeah, exactly. That must be a hard determination to make in many cases. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, the, the the results on that aspect were that it was relatively easy to say that, yes, the diagnosis is there and the agreement between the adjudicators was perfect for this question. But when looking at the possible relation with the transfusion and the causality of transfusion, their certainty was very low indeed. And on the Likert scale from 1 to 7, their certainty was about between 2 and 3. So most of the time, they thought 
showed that it was not possible to attribute the, the relation to the transfusion rather than to the, the critical illness. Other, other than the fact that it came soon after the transfusion. Exactly. Right, right. So what did you find in this study? So the, the, in fact, we observed in the entire cohort of 136 transfused critically ill patients in whom the, the data were available. So 136 patients were transfused during the study period from a queen cohort of 913 patients. So this means that about 17% of the patients were transfused during this period. And I insist on that aspect because it, this may be a particularity of our team in which we have a relatively restrictive strategy to, to transfuse the patient. So probably we are in, in OPQ, the, the transfusion is not very frequent. But we had uh, 136 patients included in the analysis. And one of the important points was that at baseline, 65% of the children, so 89 patients, had a respiratory dysfunction before the transfusion. So it's important because they probably would have been excluded from trali definition. And the rest of the patients had no respiratory dysfunction at baseline. And in those patients, We observed a total of 58 respiratory dysfunction after transfusion, associated with transfusion. So uh, uh, about 40% of the transfused patients developed a respiratory dysfunction, either new or progressive, after their transfusions. And the majority of these uh, respiratory dysfunction were in fact progressive. So in children with pre-existing respiratory dysfunction, and we had um, exactly nine new respiratory dysfunction occurring after the, the transfusion. And another important result was that about half the cases occurred in the six hours period after the transfusion, but half the cases occurred between the six and the 72 seconds hour after the transfusion. So it's in favor of probably being interested in considering an extension of the observational period after a transfusion to detect respiratory complications. Did you also look at transfusion of other blood products, platelets, plasma, and so forth? In fact, we uh, looked at these aspects as a covariate, but not really as individual risk factors. I, I, I mean, we did not look at the respiratory complications after a platelet transfusion uh-huh. or after a plasma transfusion, uh-huh. but the patient who received, uh, in addition to red blood cells, if they received plasma or platelets, this was an, uh, a risk factor of in, uh, to develop a respiratory dysfunction in, an, in the univariate analysis. In the multivariate analysis, only three risk factors were significant. This was the baseline PRISM score and the presence of T-organ dysfunction syndrome and the quantity of red blood cells that, that were prescribed. Did you look at outcomes from children who had respiratory distress associated with transfusion compared with those who did not? Yeah, we did, and we observed strong association between respiratory deterioration after the transfusion. And in these patients, uh, there were more frequent multi-organ dysfunction syndrome or progression of the multi-organ dysfunction syndrome, more frequent nosocomial bacteremia, and they had a prolonged mechanical ventilation duration, prolonged length of stay in the PQ, 
and also increased mortality. But I have to um, precise that this, uh, this, all this adverse outcome were measured in a univariate analysis. So it's important to realize that these patients also have a higher severity at baseline. And we have not conducted a multivariate analysis for the outcome because it was not really not our primary objective. Uh-huh. The association of the increased severity of multi-organ dysfunction, prolonged mechanical ventilation, and all of that kind of makes it pretty clear why it would be so difficult to attribute the worsening respiratory dysfunction to transfusion when these are probably your sickest kids and your most complex? In fact, this is probably the major problem with this study, which is an observational study, and there is a very strong association between severity and respiratory deterioration, but also between severity and, of course, severe outcome. And it's very difficult to ascertain that the impact of transfusion on the outcome is linked to the respiratory deterioration or only the the impact of the severity itself. And more than that, in fact, we acknowledge that we observed a very high rate of uh, respiratory deterioration after transfusion, but we are well aware that probably most of these reactions are not due to the transfusion, but probably more reflect the fact that the patients are more severe. But we still think that probably some of these adverse reactions are due to the transfusion, and it's important to pay more attention to these complications, especially when it's associated with such a severe outcome. But it's important to make it clear that we, we do not say that these complications is caused by the transfusion. It's an association that we observed, and it's important to insist on that point. Right, right. Because probably the sickest kids are the ones, particularly in your unit, who are going to get transfused. So that you have identified as an important limitation of your study. And what what do you consider the strengths of this study? The strength, of course, is that we conducted a systematic uh, assessment of the respiratory evolution in in all consecutive patients who receive a transfusion in PQ over one year. So this is very different from uh, reporting by hemovigilance system, which are very dependent on the quality of the diagnosis itself. And uh, another strength is that conducted an adjudicating uh, process to do the diagnosis, so it should be a more objective diagnosis. And also the introduction of new concept. I think this is a strength mm-hmm. of the study, that the introduction of the concept of progressive respiratory dysfunction is important because it makes us aware of the potential, uh, the, the, the possibility of complications that are probably not well, for which no attention is, is paid at, at, to date. And I have to also acknowledge other limitations to our study. I think that it's important to re-emphasize that in North Center we have a rather restrictive strategy, and you are right, probably the transfused patients may be specific population. And also another problem was on the time frame during which we looked at the complications, because it's not fully clear in the literature if it's better to look at the six-hour period or the first day or the three days. And we have chosen 
to look at the complications even until the PQ discharge because we had no idea. But interestingly, there's a figure in our paper, the figure two, which, which showed nicely that most of the cases occurred during the first six hours. Then a second group occurs before the end of the first day. And the later cases are much rarer. So I think that uh, it's important to focus our attention in the first day or maybe three days, as suggested by Marik, but six hours are likely too short. So what do you think this study means to our care of the children we take care of in the pediatric ICU? Does this suggest something that we should or could be doing or... I think it, this is a difficult question I have to acknowledge, but I think we should pay more attention to the respiratory status of patients when we give a transfusion. And probably we will see more and more if we are aware of this potential complication that some of our patients are worsening when there are no reasons for that. But it will be difficult to ascertain because our patients are complex and they have multiple insults and systematic inflammation, etc. So it's very difficult to detect that. But I think that we should pay more attention to this potential complication. The second aspect is, should we decrease our transfusion frequency and disease? Or should we limit our indications? And I think that at this time, this is not really prudent to say that with based on our results. I think we, are, we should try to do more work to better understand the link between the transfusion itself as an independent risk factor of the respiratory dysfunction rather than saying too fast that the transfusions conduct to a lot of complications. I think we should we cannot say that right. at this point. So uh, I think more work is needed to better understand uh, what these complications are really, uh, really are. But um, certainly we have to be aware that uh, we should look at the patient with pre-existing uh, respiratory dysfunction, and we also should look at the period longer than six hours after the transfusion, probably. Sounds like sound advice to me. Certainly, it suggests we ought to watch these kids more closely. This study maybe doesn't speak to transfusion thresholds, but there are plenty of other studies in the literature that support it, and this does nothing to counter those, at least. What do you think is the next step in terms of looking at this issue? Yeah, in fact, I think there are two avenues. One one aspect is that it would probably be interesting to discuss among intensivists, pediatric intensivists, and with the blood bankers to see if we should not adapt the definitions of trali in critically ill patients and especially in critically ill children. And uh, this could be a process that we could initiate and I think Jacques Lacroix is working on that. And I think this study is important to help this discussion. But the second aspect, and I think it, it's a more important point, is that we should reassess if the transfusion is an independent factor of this reaction. And this will be difficult, I have right, to say. Right. <laughs> of course, the, the ultimate way would be to, to conduct an, a randomized controlled trial. But I think this will be difficult oh, yeah. to focus on this patient. Right. But as a first step, we are preparing uh, with Jack a larger multicenter study 
to try to reproduce these results in other centers, but also with a slightly different design because we, we will try to identify some control patients that are not transfused but which still are similar uh -huh. to a match control group. And we will look at the respiratory evolution of these patients in parallel to the evolution of the transfused patients. So this will be, uh, of course, this still will have some limits, but this could be a primary step further to try to identify the specific role of transfusion. Another possibility would be to conduct some more mechanistic studies, like to try to see in these patients if they have, have a particular immune status or if they have uh, autoantibodies, etc., mm -hmm. to try to find if they have an underlying mechanism that could help to associate the transfusion to the reaction. Okay. This is really interesting work. It'll be of great interest to all of us to see where you go with this. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any final comments you'd like to make? No, I think that's okay. Uh, thank you, Annie, for the opportunity to, to share this work. And I think this will help for our purpose to, uh, to pay more attention to respiratory disorder in these patients. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. We have been talking today with Dr. Guillaume Emerio from Montreal, Canada, about the article Respiratory Dysfunction Associated with Red Blood Cell Transfusion in Critically Ill Children, a prospective cohort study published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in June 2015. Thank you for joining us today. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCritical Care Podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Have you listened to SCCM Pod 231 on Family Presence, Evidence versus Emotion? Or SCCM Pod 232 on Assessing Family Satisfaction? SCCM wants to know how these Project Dispatch-sponsored podcasts changed or influenced your practice. To provide feedback, contact SCCM's Director of Quality, Lori Harmon, at L. Harmon at sccm.org. Or to learn more about SCCM's Project Dispatch, visit www.sccm.org slash Project Dispatch. Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM, serves as an associate editor for the iCritical Care Podcasts. Dr. Parker is professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University Medical Center. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.